Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. These are high net worth people that I'm training. Some of them are politicians, some of them are high-end surgeons, lawyers, right? And to be able to, I mean, that was the first time, if I think back, the first time I was surrounded in, a, in an environment where there were a lot of narcissists was then, right? These are, these are people who are not, you know, used to people saying no to them or telling them what to do. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and I am so excited to dive into this conversation with my dear friend, Nick Bradley. Today, we've already kind of started this conversation before we even hit record, and it, it was already off the charts, on fire. Nick is a world-renowned author, speaker, business growth expert who works with the top of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, investors. He helps people build and scale the highest value companies. He works with the top billionaires, massive private equity companies, venture capital firms across the U.S., U.K., massive exits, mergers, acquisitions, scale their companies. And as you can imagine, massive, huge narcissists have been (laughs) involved in this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that um, somewhat glorious introduction, Rebecca. It is a pleasure to be here. Oh, and it is such a pleasure to talk to you. I always love talking to you. Like we just get right into it. We do. We could have, We, as you just said, we, we could have started the podcast 10 minutes ago. We, really, we, were, we were going down a few rabbit holes already. We were already <laughs> there and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We really need to hit record here. So tell, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your background. It is so fascinating. Yeah, it's um, it's like anything. There's a there's a long version and there's a there's a more precise version, and I'll I'll go with the latter. I I have worked for the last ten to fifteen years in the world of private equity, and for people who haven't really understood what that is, because it kind of gets talked about, but a lot of people don't really understand what it is. It's not just simply you know where people put a lot of money into a fund and then it gets invested into buying businesses scaling businesses exiting it's a bit more than that it's it's a very clinical world of high net worth individuals dealing with other high net worth individuals doing deals which can go into the the 10 figure the billion dollar range and there is so much wealth created from this quite small ecosystem of people there's a lot of private equity firms when you get into it and understand how they build businesses and sell them and the pace that they do it 
you can imagine it's very intoxicating and very attractive. So we can get into all of that. But if I go back a little bit before that, before private equity, I grew up in a place called Adelaide, South Australia. Now I live in the UK, but that's a, a story in itself. Adelaide is a very small town on the south coast. It's a city, but it acts like a town. Famous for three things. Famous for lots of churches. There are more churches there than, you know, if you look at, look at the sort of map, you think, why the hell are there so many churches here? It's crazy. Then you've got um, lots of uh, sharks. So a lot of the, the open water scenes from the Jaws films were filmed in South Australian waters. And then the third thing is serial killers. We have more serial killers in Adelaide per capita than any other city in the world. So as you can imagine, I didn't stay there long. <laughs> I had to get out. That's and crazy. Like, it is crazy. I went to school and university churches there. Churches and serial killers somehow. Oh, man, like, that those study, two things. Study the bodies in the barrel Adelaide thing. And anyway, how we do, won't go how there. How do churches and serial killers go together? I don't know. And sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I, 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 I say that as a bit of a joke because um, I started a business when I was 18 in Adelaide, which was a personal training business. And back in the late 80s, early 90s, personal training wasn't like it is today. Like it was something that was a luxury and only very wealthy people would invest in that type of one-to-one -one training. And the business was successful in terms of it allowed me to study at university and get a business degree. But I knew that I needed to go and do something different. So I joke a little bit as well, my first exit, I've done 26 exits, but my first exit was for 3,000 Australian dollars when I sold that personal training gym to a friend of mine and I left and went to Sydney, went into the world of corporate, into private equity and the rest, as they say, is history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but along the way, you have been, you, you mentioned something about Delta Force training, uh, like you've oh, done yeah. all, uh, all sorts of, like, where did that even come into play? Because what I want people to understand here and where you're going to be able to drop some amazing nuggets for people is how you can really help people understand how you've learned how to negotiate with narcissists. And, and that's where the, 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 um, the nuggets here are going to be amazing, absolutely amazing for people. So where did that all come into play? Yeah. So as I said, it actually started with that gym, right? Because, you know, as an 18, 19 year old, and as I mentioned, these are high net worth people that I'm training. Some of them are politicians, some of them are high end surgeons, lawyers, right? And to be able to, I mean, that was the first time, if I think back, the first time I was surrounded in, a, in an environment where there were a lot of narcissists was then. Right? Okay. These are, these are people who are not, you know, used to people saying no to them or telling them what to do, right? right. And here's this, you know, 19, 18-year-old, you know, guy <laughs> going, 20 more push-ups. Who are you? Come on, <laughs> right? And, wow. and I didn't realize this at the time, but that was some of the best training for what was going to come. Because I had a certain amount of confidence and self-belief when I was younger for various reasons. And in that environment, I didn't have any real fear. I just didn't know. And eventually I realized what I was doing in hindsight when I started to get into the world of corporate. I, I went to Sydney and I worked for Rupert Murdoch as part of News International. And Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was my first foray into this kind of more 
business world, right? Proper kind of business. And I started off in marketing for Men's Health Magazine, and then I worked in the sort of corporate strategy uh, areas for these businesses. So I worked for, for News International, moved from Sydney to London, worked for another big media group over here, the second biggest consumer publishing group called EMAP. I was the marketing and strategy director for a division that was doing well over 100 million pounds per annum. And I was in charge of acquiring and doing joint ventures with brands, big brands. And so that first personal training business that I sold for $3,000 gave me a huge amount of confidence to be able to sit across the table from Lachlan Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch's son, and not feel intimidated, right? And and so for me, I, I had that and I had it at an early age. And I think what was interesting about it, I didn't quite recognize what I was around. You know, there are all these people being really quite aggressive, lots of egos. And the way that I, I suppose, approached that was because it's kind of like bullying, right? It's kind of like oh, bullying. Totally. Like, it is and, totally bullying. And I just stood up to the bullies because I, I, that was what my job was. You know, people, people challenged me all the time back in that gym. And I was like, I'm not having any of this, right? You know, I'm here to get you a result. So you can leave your ego at the door and we're just going to get it done. And I took that on even into some of the, the more corporate jobs. Now, sometimes I'll be really, really honest here. Sometimes I got fired for that. You know, I went through a few different jobs, right? But I think as I started to become more successful because I wasn't getting pushed around, you know, I also got promoted very, very quickly. And I was a marketing director in my mid twenties. I was the CEO of a division in my early thirties. And because I was not afraid, I think of challenging a lot of these people who were playing games that allowed me to move into the world of private equity, where the game goes up to another level and then some, right? So what I'll, what I'll say here, just to pause is, it wasn't always successful, right? You know, me going out there and having to deal with these different individuals, very successful, very wealthy people, lots of status. But because I was around them, they were my environment for pretty much my career until more recently. I got very, very good at reading different patterns and being able to adjust to those patterns to be able to get the outcomes that I needed to be successful. Okay. And so was there a point in your life that you think that you were narcissistic or had narcissistic traits or tendencies? 100%. Okay. And 100%. tell us, tell, tell, tell me more about that. So as I mentioned, hindsight's great, right? When you look back and you kind of see what you were to where you are now in, in the moments, I didn't realize these things. Right. And it's not really about the definition of narcissism or not. It's really just you have a certain identity when you're in certain environments. It's kind of like if you're hanging around the wrong crowd too much, you end up being a bit like that, right, as a concept, if you believe in that. And I found that to be successful, to sit on boards of companies making millions, if not billions of dollars, you had to have a certain degree of of arrogance, ego, narcissism to be there, right? Just to be there because in those rooms, people go at each other. I mean, I've been in rooms where people have, you know, pushed people into a wall and stuff and like, you know, I won't go into where that was and why, but it, it's pretty aggressive and it's not just a male thing. It's predominantly a male thing in, in the private equity world, but it's not just that. And 
And I, I remember when I got into the world of private equity, which was in sort of 2009, 2010, which was a full almost decade in that world, I remember thinking that I would have done anything to get the deal done, to get the promotion, to get the bonus, to buy the Porsche. I would have done anything. And, and I did, right? I did. And, you know, I remember going into businesses, doing turnarounds and just sacking everybody, right? Literally the job was to go in, you know, if, if someone didn't fit the right um, need or capability or culture or whatever it is, they were gone. And I just didn't have any, you know, back to the whole Delta force thing and that level of kind of, how do you act under fire? You just go in there and be clinical. Now, what's interesting about that is from the outside in, I had all the material things, you know, I had the cars, I had the flying around the world in business or first class, all of that sort of stuff. But inside I was breaking down. Right. And two things, two things mm -hmm. as I look back mm -hmm. really get me over that 10 years, I started doing extreme endurance sports, ultra marathon running. So I ended up doing something like 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons over about an eight year period. At the time, I just thought, you know what, if I run these races and, and remember uh, training for these races is as hard as, as the actual race themselves. Like you'd run a marathon every Sunday morning. I get up at four and run a marathon before the kids got up. Right. And I was telling myself that this was me training for the game. It wasn't for the race. It was training me for the boardroom because I was training. I was trying to sort of convince myself that I was training my mindset to deal with these egos. And when I used to sit there having these, these quite interesting confrontations, we can get into what they look like in a sec. You know, I'd look at someone and go, yeah, dude, you can't run a hundred miles. So, so, you know, you are not stronger than me. I wouldn't say that, but I'd be thinking that. <laughs> Imagine what that feels like, right? You're in this kind of like, it's all about me beating this other person or this, this situation. So anyway, I'll take you to the end of this because it's worth, I think it's the time to do it. So as I'm, as I'm doing these deals, I'm doing, I've done 117 acquisitions, as I mentioned, 26 exits. As this is all going ahead and, and I'm making decisions which are at, at that point starting to conflict with my values and certainly my purpose now, I start getting quite sick, right? I start feeling not very good and my body's starting to break down. Another thing happened during that time was my father who'd left when I was two years of age, left our family, divorce, pretty horrific sort of things going on. He came back into my life just around when my first daughter was born and he was very different to the person that he was explained to be. You know, when your parents break up, there's a bit of character assassination. He was a very different person to what I was told. So that started to come into play. Very successful entrepreneur actually. And a lot of what I was doing in private equity was screwing over entrepreneurs, right? And then the final thing happened. One night we were closing this massive deal, a $2.3 billion deal. And I went to bed and I woke up about three in the morning and I'd broken the two right molars on the right side of my jaw, literally. Because you're like just grinding your teeth at night or something? Yeah. I mean, what the, what the dentist, I went to the doctor first, then the dentist and the dentist said, he'd seen this before in actually interestingly financial services, people who are doing hedge fund stuff, right? Yeah. It was, it was effectively me, all the stress of a number of different things. Me, it was building up before this because I was starting to look at myself differently thinking, 
is this the person that I want to be? Is this the, the, the role model for, you know, my kids, et cetera, my wife? My dad comes back. He's a successful entrepreneur. When you're in private equity, your job is to buy a business as cheap as possible so that when you scale it to exit, you make as much money as possible for the investors. So my job is not to go into you know, the entrepreneur and say, hey, we're going to pay you this amount of money for your business. And, you know, it's, we're there to make it difficult. And then when I met my dad and, and realized that he was one of these entrepreneurs, I'm thinking, oh, what have I been doing? And then the deal itself was big. You know, $2 billion deal was a massive deal. So that took a lot of late nights and, and poor food and drinking or whatever else. And so it all just came to a head, you know, in it was 2018, came to a head. And that night, I remember going, you know what? I can't be in this world anymore. And I made a decision to leave. But I think, you know, to give value to people listening, it's probably worth us exploring that period of time because that's the period of time that I was a narcissist. And that was the period of time where that's not who I truly was, but I had to be, or I certainly felt I had to be like that to be successful, maybe even to survive. Hmm. What kind of husband were you? Vacant. Mm. What sort of father was I? Not around. Mm. So, but your wife put up with it, huh? She saw, I think, that there were elements in there where, you know how sometimes you catch yourself, right? There was a point where I was, when I was my most happiest was not when I was in that environment. And sometimes you can see those she could see those points of me, particularly when my, my first daughter, Arabella, was born. And that was one of the big shifts as well as much as my dad coming back. But, um, yeah, when I think back of it, she was very – she saw something in me before I saw it. And we had that conversation after the teeth incident. And it was actually literally within about two or three weeks of that happening that I decided to give up the whole world of private equity. So did you just have a breakdown? Like what happened? I call it, I call it an awakening now <laughs> because I, well, what actually happened? I, I called up a friend after I had the, about two weeks after the, the teeth incident, as I call it, uh, I thought, what am I going to do? Because this, this is now a sign of something and I can't keep doing this anymore. But of course you've built a life around this. You've built a life, kids in private school, big house, all of that, you know, my whole, my whole life is around this. And I don't want, I don't want my family to suffer because I'm now going through some sort of midlife crisis. Right. <laughs> and, um, so I ended up calling a friend who back at university never came out really drinking with us or playing pool or any of those sort of things. And he ended up retiring from selling his company at 28 for about 60 million Australian dollars. I think it was. And I called him up and I said, told him the story and he knew what I was doing. And he's like, man, you just got to get yourself out of that and you've got to get yourself into a different environment for a while to understand what you really should be doing. Really good advice. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. So what I've found is with certain narcissists, you have to make it look like they win. Quite a lot, actually. It might be over, over weeks, months, right? maybe longer. But what you're really doing is you're just bringing the force towards you until the point in time where you can reverse the force. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? 
Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. They will cheat on you and say that was your fault. I ended up having to cheat on you because you weren't a good spouse. If you had been nicer to me, if you had been more attentive to me, I wouldn't have cheated on you. So therefore, that's your fault. That's a lie that narcissists want you to believe. And now we return to today's show. So I ended up going of all places to a Tony Robbins event. So within about a month of the teeth incident, four to six weeks, I was on a plane to Chicago from London to go to an event called Unleash the Power Within. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, this, talk about taking me out of my comfort zone, Rebecca. I mean, like, you know, I'm walking into this, what, this, this crazy place, right? People are dancing and high-fiving and all sorts of stuff. But, and here's the funny bit, right? I, I, I had lots of Tony Robbins books on my bookshelf. I've got, similar to what you've got in your background, I've got heaps of books. I love books. But I never really read them. I sort of had them, but thought, oh, one day I might need them, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. Anyway, I went to this event. And I remember, you know, the first day was weird. Second day I started crying, right? I'm like, what's going on? And by the end of it, I'm dancing and hoo-haring with everyone else. But I made a decision in those four days, I was there by myself, that A, I was not going to go back into the world of private equity in the way that I had been. I was going to create a whole different world around what I, what I was starting to f- get the first instincts of what I wanted to do and could do and should do call it purpose, mission. And when I came back, this is the interesting piece, the f- one of the first things I actually did, one of the actions was to launch my podcast, mm. which at that point was called Scale Up Your Business. And that was the trajectory, the pivot point, which moved me into a different, I actually created a whole different life from that decision. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, Gary Zukoff, you know, he, he talks about it being aligning your personality with your soul, you know, like aligning the, the, the physical self with the, the spirit self, yep. you know, and that's what you did. You made a decision. Yeah. And, and one of the things and, I learned in that four days was this idea of um, mindset and heart set. And the idea, every, every decision I'd made up until that point, knowingly or unknowingly, was, was a, a mental, logical decision. Mm-hmm. And that made made me very, you know, really clinical. You know, we joke about the Delta Force thing and all that because in private equity we get taught really strong negotiation skills and we, we get taught to be detached from outcomes. Uh, a little bit like I imagine it is when you go into a war zone and that's why we'd have a very military view to it. But that also teaches you to not really connect with, you know, uh, emotions. And so the reason I started crying, I think, was because... It was part, part of a, a thing that Tony does at these events, but it was because I was starting to connect with emotions that I'd repressed for over a decade, possibly even more. Like the more I go back, I think, God, where, where, you know, 
how I am now is probably how I was when I was a teenager. So it could even be that long that I was living this different identity. Mm. Yeah, not even connected to yourself at all. It was survival, which is what narcissists are in. They're in survival mode all the time. And that's what I say mm. all the time. They are, narcissists literally are in survival mode all the time. It's scarcity mode to the utmost extreme. And it's fear-based decision-making constantly, constantly. Yep. That was me. And that's why I think to your, to your question, yes, I was. What Was I, what, yeah, maybe I found a way out. Maybe there was a point where that whole incident of three or four things hitting at once was enough of a catalyst to get me to view things differently. But there is also this uh, image I have or this view where I could have stayed in that world forever. You know, I could have mm. had those things not happen. Many people do. Many people do. Yeah. So, so how do you have a conversation with a narcissist? Obviously, you don't, you don't say the word no to a narcissist. You don't, how do you manipulate the conversation to be able to get a narcissist to do something that you want them to do? So there's, you know what, there's two things here for me. If I go back into where we mentioned at the very beginning about billionaires and, and a, lot of, a lot of the guys who sit at the very top of the big private equity firms are billionaires, right? You wouldn't know their names. They're not written down anywhere, but they are. And there is a, a, a view here I have that sometimes to get to the very top of anything, maybe you have to have some of the traits of narcissism. You, know, you see it in the world of sport. You know, the, the, they call it the goats, the greatest of all time, right? Yeah. I've seen that in business. But to yeah. your question, to your question specifically, I think there's a couple of things that I learned and I'm a big believer that your environment shapes everything. We joked about Adelaide. You know, if I'd stayed there, maybe I would have. Maybe I Serial killer or but, priest. You know, I mean, I was a priest or, or a shark diver or something. <laughs> or a shark. But um, I found two, two, I found two different patterns that work. And, and I'll, I'll contextualize this by saying you have to be very, very good at influence and persuasion. You have to be very, very good at reading situations and you have to sort of have this almost like you, you build up a sense of this. It's almost like it's something that becomes a skill. But, and the reason I say that is there are some narcissists that I have absolutely said no to and been successful, right? I have, I've done that for sure. And there are others where there's no way that if I'd taken that approach, I would have been able to be successful. And the, the, the challenge is how do you pick? How do you know? Right. And the, the thing that goes into my mind a little bit is, you know, if you've ever done any martial arts or boxing or anything like that, there's a point in time where, you know, you know, you have the ability to put the right punch in or not. Okay. And other times it's about playing defense versus offense. Okay. But the whole thing's a game. The whole thing's a game. And what I found to, to work sometimes if someone was, you know, maybe they'd stumbled a little bit, they weren't quite, they'd shown a little bit of vulnerability. Sometimes you can attack that. Okay. And if you understand that vulnerability, you can go quite deep into the wound if you, if you're that way inclined and, mm -hmm. and people buckle, they may not buckle in the moment, but they leave, they leave the room. Right. And, and things like that, because they don't know what to do. And that's where the bullying piece I think works quite interestingly. So, you know, if you, if you feel that you're getting in a situation where you, you have the angle to put the punch in, 
I've, I've been successful at doing that. And that's actually got me through many a negotiation as well. Other times. That's great advice. That is great yeah. advice. It's interesting. I mean, this is, it, it, it's such a, I look back in the world and I've got literally hairs on my, on my arms are standing up as I'm telling this because I can feel being in these places again. Um, there are times where the opponent is, you know, maybe too strong for you maybe at that point as well. Like sometimes I'm a big believer in energy right now, but I understand it now back then I didn't. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of energy that can be overwhelming if you have a certain, if you walk into a situation with a huge amount of confidence. But w when I've had people who, you know, that they have to win and they, they have to feel like they're winning all the time. There's a, there's a classic martial art called a keto. And the whole concept of Aikido is to use someone's power and strength and force against them. So if you ever Google it, you'll see this, this little guy, tiny little guy, old guy, battling these muscle-bound people and just flipping them all over the place because the harder the force into them, the more he has the tools and the skills to be able to reverse that force back. Mm. And so, so what I've found is with certain narcissists, you have to make it look like they win quite a lot actually it might be over over weeks months right maybe longer but what you're really doing is you're just bringing the force towards you until the point in time where you can reverse the force oh, and you know so how that good. looks how that looks right is and this is i hate saying this but i'm gonna say it you belay your own values you, you get inside, you become a trusted ally, right? You become the person they start to trust until you can then turn that back against them. Oh, yeah. I See call what I mean? it eth ethically manipulating the manipulator. Yeah, but you have to, and this is the thing, the reason I hate this, and I do hate this, is you have to sometimes compromise your own ethics for a period of time. And sometimes that time, as I said, could be a, a longer period of time right, to be able to influence that person. And I think from doing this type of activity for a decade, as I've just explained it, I think that's what started to get me to that breakdown experience. So I was winning on the outside in, as I said, I was winning these things, but as I was starting to conflict with values, ethics, my own morality, whatever, that was starting to chip away at me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. I get it. I mean, but, you know, there are times when I'm talking to people and they'll say, oh, you know, my soon-to-be ex wants to get back together, but I don't want to get back together. But I'll say, go along with the conversation for now until, you know, because let them think that you're going to, you know. I mean, yep. there's times that that is something you have, you have to do. I mean, or even if it's a, a, a business partner or whatever, and they think that there's a, still a chance that you, whatever, you have to kind of let lead them a, along for a, a while. Um, yep. th there are times that you do have to kind of have that conversation for a while. I mean, I call it ethically manipulating the manipulator because they are manipulators and they're opportunists and you have to do what you have to do to survive. 
It is that. It, it just depends, I think, on the actions. So I'll give an example of that. I mentioned before that I'd go into businesses and fire people, effectively restructure. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of decisions I made through that journey where I sacked my friends. Mm. Like good friends. That must have been hard, very hard. Yeah. And and not for the reasons uh, they, that they, they weren't, weren't before friends me. after that, I, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> some of them are because I've been I've had the opportunity to explain the situation. I think in that world you you have to appreciate that you are playing a game. You are acting out to some extent a different caricature. So not not always, but but if you think about it, like if you've got a narcissist who says, I just want you to get rid of that person, and you go, Well, why? Because they're doing a great job, their numbers are off the charts. I just don't like them. So do it. So in that situation, what do you do? Right? Do you go back to the bully? No. You know, I'm out. <laughs> right? I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you know mm-hmm. that's probably the next conversation. Or mm-hmm. do you say yes to it, knowing it's the wrong thing to do for lots of reasons, and, and even mm-hmm. the reason that's been given is a, is a crap reason, right? Now, that's one example of what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but you've changed so much. I mean, you're one of the, the few examples of somebody who you know, was a narcissist and made a decision to change. But, you know, you have to hit rock bottom. Yeah, that's what I think it was. I think, I think had I have not gone through that, there's more, there's more to those events that happened, right, you know, around my father because he, he, he came back and died very quickly from mm. cancer. So that all happened mm. at the same time we were doing this, this massive billion-dollar-plus deal. So there's, you know... I, what happened? A few, it was like being sort of hit, and then you sort of, <laughs> to use my boxing analogy, you go into the mat, and then you just kept getting hit about three or four more times, kind of while you're on the ground. And I call it an awakening now, as I mentioned. I also call it like probably the the, um, the most grateful event of my life. This stuff, because had I had that not happened, if it just got a little bit bad, right, like kind of you know not 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 terrible, not rock bottom to your word, but just a little bit bad. I wouldn't have oh, left. Oh, you wouldn't. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, and I know for me, because, you know, my my change happened around the same time, you know, where I merged my law practice and made massive changes too. And a lot of people were like, why would she leave this top law practice? I was absolutely at the top of my game. People thought I had cancer. Like, what what's going on? You know, and, you know, I'm going to probably, you know, uh, say to you, it was more than just teeth. You know, I know for me, I had autoimmune issues. It was cortisol levels off the charts, A1C levels off the charts. You know, I'm sure you probably had a lot of health issues at the, uh, as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was, my body was shutting down on me. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's exactly I, the same thing. Exactly. The teeth, the teeth thing was just a very obvious example of stress, which is what it was. But I, you know, I put on a, a fair bit of weight. Um, I, might, I had stomach issues. I just wasn't feeling good, like p- pains that you can't explain, right? Had all that going on. And yeah. I just, I, I wasn't looking after myself as well. So I think it all, so there's a mental and a physical aspect to this and an emotional aspect, which I now understand didn't understand, but you're kind of holding on to situations, grief, um, maybe shame, right? Like for some of the decisions, 
And, and I think if you do that forever, right, certainly a lot of people never, ever get the, the gift that I was given. That's where people end up getting really sick, I think. I, th I think, you know, those sort of things, if you hold on to those things in your body, it, it, it does come back to you. Right. You know, and, and I mentioned to you before we started um, taping here, like if you are not in alignment with your soul's intention, with what your purpose is on on this planet, your, your body is going to start to shut down on you. You are going to not feel good because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I know for me, it just was every single day for 12 hours a day, I was not who I was supposed to be. I felt drained. I literally felt drained at the end of the day. Absolutely exhausted. You know, now I can be tired, but I still love what I'm doing. You know, it's, it's, I, I enjoy, I know I'm helping people. I know that the work that I'm doing is purposeful. I know I feel in my zone, you know, I can be tired because it's, you know, I, I did a lot of things throughout the day, but I'm not drained. Yeah. It's, it's very different. <laughs> Different experience, right? I mean, I the, the decision I made when I um, went to the Tony Robbins thing and then reflected on it was it was it was driven a little bit by by my father because I thought, well, if private equity is really about going in there and and buying good businesses as cheaply as you possibly can and then then doing certain things to them really quickly, which create massive amounts of value, how could I take that that thinking, that experience, that understanding, and give it to the entrepreneurs earlier? And so that was, that was the pivot. I decided that I'm going to go and jump. I, I often say I'm going to jump on the other side of the table. So I'm not going to sit on the private equity side anymore. I'm going to sit on the, the founder, entrepreneur, business owner side. And I'm going to arm them with all of the really clever tools that private equity used to, to scale and exit businesses. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that was the decision. And, and the reason I did that in the podcast, because I think it's interesting to, to bring that into it, is when I was in the Tony Robbins event, I saw the Zig Ziglar quote, the one that says, you know, if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll have everything that you want and need in life. It's something like that. And the concept of contribution. Now, this is going to sound weird. I never even heard of any of that stuff before. So I, I, I think back on that, that sort of 10 to 15 years, and this is where the narcissistic piece really resonates, is I didn't give a shit about anyone like probably not even my family, right? At that point in time, I was so relentless on success or the perceived success. So this idea that I could help people, like genuinely help people, and that would actually give me some level of abundance, maybe more, more than I've ever received, that blew my mind. It was that mm -hmm. one thing, that was the shift, that one quote was the shift that made me say, I'm gonna do a podcast and I'm gonna give everything that I know about business, everything that I've learned in all of those different experiences, I'm gonna give it away for free. Right. And that's what I've done. You know, the 300 odd episodes of the show, if you go through it, there's everything, <laughs> how to raise money, yeah. how to, how to build a brand, all the stuff that we do. In, it's, it's all out there in different episodes and it's made, that's what changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what is, um, one thing that you would say to people who are, um, you know, dealing with narcissists who are dealing with, you know, how to have difficult conversations, you know, what's, what's one thing that you would leave them with? 
Yeah, I think the, the thing that's, that is important but is sometimes hard is patience, right? Sometimes, back to what I said beforehand, you've got to pick your moment. Don't necessarily do what I did, which was make decisions that conflict. Like if that's happening, I would advise people to, 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 to not do that. that. That's the bit that I think back that wasn't right. But what was interesting for me was being able to be present in those situations, knowing that I'm in an adversarial situation, being able to not get too emotional, right? That, that's, that was really valuable mm. to me, not to get too so attached. Important. So important. And that allowed me to be more aware of the things that were going on so that the, the other thing i'll say because i think there's i could answer this question multiple ways i don't want to kind of confuse people with too much complexity but the other thing i'd say is if you don't think that you are going to be able to win and i don't mean because you haven't given enough time i mean just because you're not you're not ready for it you know you're mm -hmm. it, it's it's really eating you up you have to find a way out yeah so important, so much value. Wow, you are so brilliant, so brilliant, and you've so, you've accomplished so much. So thank you so much, Nick. I, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you all day. There's so many um, uh, uh, nuggets that you have. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And where can people learn more about you? Where can they catch your podcast? Where can they follow you? Sure. Thank, um, thank you, Rebecca, yeah. for that as well. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I, I thought you were going to say it was my accent. <laughs> oh, I love your accent too. It's, it's a blend cool. of uh, English and, and Australian. Um, but no, uh, where people can find me. So yeah, my podcast is now called Scale Up with Nick Bradley. So you can listen to that on all the, the Apple podcasts and Spotify's and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm actually going to be on, you know, we just recorded it. So yeah. my episode will be coming out. Uh, yeah. We're going to get right point. into your story, which is great. So yeah. So yeah. fans of your show, come and listen to me drill you <laughs> with lots of yeah, different questions. Um, so yeah. So, so scale up with Nick Bradley. My website is the same scale up with Nick Bradley.com. Um, and then, yeah, I, I tend to hang out on LinkedIn a lot. So you can find me there as well. It's the real Nick Bradley. I'm not really an Instagram guy, but, uh, I'm speaking on stages, masterminds, all things, exits and things like that. So always happy if someone comes up and says hi. Yeah. All right. Go check him out. Check him out on LinkedIn. Check him out on Instagram. Check out his podcast for sure. Make sure you subscribe to it and uh, listen to it. And thank you so much, Nick. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening.